Well, I want to look at this passage of Scripture, and it's interesting, as I mentioned in an email I sent out last night, that the modern name for Smyrna is Izmir. And that's interesting to me as a minister in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church because a fellow pastor by the name of Andrew Brunson was the pastor of the Evangelical Church of Izmir, modern, uh, the modern name for Smyrna. So this is a, this is a town that, ha- that has a Christian witness in it, or did, until something very bad happened. After World War I, Turkey underwent a kind of secular revolution under Ataturk, and they adopted a relatively uh, uh, democratic uh, and secular constitution. However, with the rise of what I want to call Islamicism, that is, an attempt to reestablish the Islam of Muhammad, uh, Turkey became led by a man, Erdogan, who wanted to reestablish the pre-World War II government of Turkey, going back to the time that the Turks came out of the steppes of Central Asia and conquered the Muslim world and eventually conquered the Greek world and eventually conquered the greatest city in the world at the time, Constantinople. And so what happens is that a lot of people were concerned in the wake of Erdogan uh, trying to turn Turkey back into the Ottoman Empire with himself being a caliph. And so he began to come against various people, including especially those in the military, And along the way, our missionary to Turkey, Andrew Brunson, the pastor of this church in Smyrna, Izmir, uh, was arrested and held for uh, an extended period of time and tortured under the government of this Muslim extremist, Erdogan. And so I'll say this, that the Turks... In, the, in their current form of government, are no ally of the United States. And we need to remember that. And so, anyhow, but I find it interesting that in this very town, this very community, which was a seaport, uh, that we had a missionary who was put in prison for some years, uh, Andrew Brunson. Now, I want to think about uh, Smyrna for a moment, and these words on page 1914, he talks about people who say they're Jews but are not. Here's a little bit of background. Uh, the, the Greek word for much fruit is polycarp. That's not a reference to a bunch of goldfish. Um, so polycarp was alive in Smyrna when the Apostle John wrote these words. And uh, eventually, he is betrayed and turned over to the governor, uh, uh, government officials there in Smyrna. And he's offered a deal because he was an extremely well-respected man, Polycarp. He knew personally the Apostle John. And he's offered this deal. Look, this is all I'm asking you to do. Take this piece of paper and burn it before the bust of the Roman emperor and declare that he's Lord. That's all you got to do. We don't want an old man like you to suffer. That's all you have to do. 
And Polycarp said these famous words, 86 years I have served him, meaning Jesus. For 86 years I've served him, and he has never done me any harm. And he refused. And so they decided to burn him alive. But for some reason, the fire didn't consume him, according to all the eyewitnesses. At a point, someone ran up and stabbed him, and so much blood came out, it extinguished the flame. These are eyewitness accounts of what happened. But eventually, he did die. He was a martyr to the cause of Christ, served Christ 86 years. He was alive when these words were written, because these seven churches of Asia Minor, these seven churches of Turkey, were located in a place where the worship of the emperor came with great virulence and force. For example, if you look over across the page, the church at Pergamon, uh, verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Where Satan has his throne. That was a city devoted to the worship of the Roman emperor. You know, it's an amazing thing. We, we should never think of Julius Caesar as a good man. He was a wicked, vile, filthy man. And he deliberately concocted a plan to overthrow the Roman Republic. And so when he was assassinated, the Ides of March, when he was assassinated, it's interesting that those who succeeded him and the one who finally won out was his, his nephew Octavian, uh, who took the name Augustus, Caesar Augustus, they began to encourage the worship of the Roman emperor as divine. It even begins under Augustus, and then it goes on under Tiberius, and then under uh, Caligula, and then under Claudius, and then under, uh, under Nero. It goes on and on and on. And interesting, when Nero finally is killed, uh, that there's, this goes on at the very time that Jerusalem is being destroyed by the Roman armies, that the Roman general Vespasian, Vespasian left, never forget, that politicians can smell opportunity in the air. And so Vespasian hands the job of destroying the Jewish resistance in Jerusalem over to his son Titus, not to be confused with the Titus of the Bible. So Titus is left in charge. Vespasian returns to Rome. Vespasian becomes the Roman emperor. And then he reestablishes again the worship of the Roman emperor that continues on uh, with his son Titus, who destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and with uh, his son Domitian. And so what happens is that Roman emperors demanded worship. Roman emperors demanded worship. And so this is going on here. That's why Pergamum is said to be the place where Satan has his throne. There was a throne for Zeus, but also it's the headquarters of the worship of the Roman emperor. Now, it's interesting, going back to the church in Izmir, Smyrna, uh, we come across this phrase. He says, I know the slander of those, verse 9, who say they are Jews and are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. What does that mean? First of all, we have to ask the question, according to the Bible, who is really a Jew? First of all, we need to understand that the children of Abraham were not all Jews. They were the children of Jacob and then of Israel. And Israel then had one son in particular, Judah. And Judah is the one that we get the name Jew from. Judah is the first Jew. And so they begin to be distinguished from the other children of Abraham with the name Jew uh, at the time when the kingdom divides into the north, headquartered in Samaria eventually, and in the south, in Jerusalem. And so what is... The New Testament say about being a Jew. I'd like to look at a couple of passages of Scripture because the root of what we're looking at right here is a conflict among the Jewish people, those who believed in Jesus the Messiah and those who rejected him as the Messiah. And so the first place I'd like us to look is at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, if we turn back to the left, We'll find that uh, on page uh, uh, 1749, Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. Paul, who was Jewish, he was a Jewish rabbi. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, but he was raised in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He says, a man is not a Jew if he is only outwardly, only one outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. He says in verse 29, No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise, and that takes us to the root of the word Judah and Jew, such a man's praise is not from men but from God. So what Paul is telling us here is that circumcision that's important is the circumcision of the heart. That is the new birth. In other words, if a man is going to be regarded by God as a true Jew, that man has to be born again. He has to have the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit. And his Jewishness is an inward Jewishness. That is, his life is lived to bring praise to God. And so he tells us that. Uh, we uh, We can turn over to Galatians for a moment, which is another place. where we find something that I think says a great deal about what's going on right now in the Middle East. And so if we turn to page 1814, page 1814, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21, Galatians 4 verse 24, tell me you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. In other words, we're talking about Hagar, an Egyptian slave, who became Abram's concubine uh, under the instigation of his wife Sarah. And we're talking about uh, Ishmael, who is her son. And then we're told in that second major clause, but his son by the free woman, that is Sarah's son, who is Isaac, was born as a result of a promise. 
God had given a promise. Abram and Sarah didn't see it happening. And so they said, well, we're going to make it happen. Beware of ever trying to make God's promises happen by your own wisdom and cunning because you'll usually mess it up pretty badly. And indeed, all of the troubles you see over there, they all have their roots in two well-meaning people who decided we're going to make this promise come true now. So patience, wait on the Lord, trust him. So notice we again, we have the two women, the slave woman, Hagar, her son Ishmael, and we have the free woman, Sarah, and her son Isaac. And then he says in verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. So he's saying Hagar is a type or a pattern of people who are trusting in their own goodness their own race, their own ethnicity, their own religion, their own commitment to rules and regulations to be right with God. Notice what he says. The two women represent, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. And you have to understand, in those days, the word Arabia referred to the entire Sinai Peninsula as well as to the area that we now associate with Saudi Arabia. So he says, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Why are people fighting over a piece of real estate that is no longer important? Let that sink in. The present day Jerusalem is a place of bondage where the descendants of Hagar are fighting each other over it. Let that sink in. What is he saying? He says, verse 25. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. The Palestinians, many of whom are professing Christians, as well as many Muslims, along with the Jewish people who moved there back after being in exile, are in bondage. They're all slaves. Think about it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He says, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. Look at verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. What is the Jerusalem that is above? That's where the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's where there are myriads of angels. That's where the general assembly in the church of the firstborn worships right now on the 23rd day of May 2021, right now. And when we worship by the Holy Spirit, because we are seated in heavenly places in Christ already, we're worshiping with the heavenly Jerusalem that one day is going to come down from God like a bride adorned for a bridegroom, 
and is going to be on earth. That's when you'll have world peace. People think they're going to bring world peace. All people do when they try to bring peace is to make more war. And nothing has created more problems than people going back and claiming land that they were expelled from because of breaking God's divine covenant and without coming in repentance and brokenness to the land, coming in arrogance, this is our land. Think about it. In 1948, the Middle East was set on fire. And it will never be put out till the Prince of Peace returns. And what you see going on right now is a conflict that goes back to a clever scheme of Sarah and Abraham to, we're going to do it our way and have it our way, and here's how we're going to do it. You take my slave girl, and she'll give you a child, and that'll be the child of promise. It all goes back to that. And they're still fighting. They're still fighting. They're going to continue to fight. Why? Because they're slaves. They don't know God. They don't know the joy of the Lord, which is to worship the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of the saints and the angels in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now you ask yourself the question, have I said anything that's not right here in this text? Verse 26, the Jerusalem that is above is free. She's our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now look at verse 28. Now you brothers, who was he writing to? People in Galatia. Where was ancient Galatia? It was in Turkey. He was writing to Turks. Jewish and Gentile Turks who had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you brothers, verse 28, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then he says, at that time the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born of the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Now notice his therefore in verse 31. Therefore, brothers, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. What should our policy be with regard to Jerusalem and Judea, or modern Israel? I don't know. There's no solution. I've been there. I wrote my doctorate studying Islam. There's no peace. There's never going to be peace in Israel and Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace has the trumpet shout, uh, trumpet sound and the archangel shout, and he descends from heaven. Until then, they're just going to fight each other because they hate each other. And I've been there and I've observed it. It is a thoroughly racist apartheid country. It is. It is. And people feel the right to go in and take somebody else's house. And what do they do? And what's the solution? Do you back history back before 1948? No, you can't do that. I'm saying there is no solution. But you know what I'm suspicious of? Somebody's going to come along with a solution. 
And people are going to believe him. And people are going to say, yeah, let's do this. This is going to be wonderful. But beware. Beware of man-made solutions to problems. Beware of those who try to circumvent God's way of fulfilling his promises by human effort. But who are you and I? We're not children of the slave woman. We're children of the free woman. We are Abraham's true children. True children. All you have to do is look back to page to chapter 3 for a quick second. And what does he say in verse 26 of chapter 3, page 813? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Turning back for a quick moment to Revelation chapter 2. What does he mean by calling this group of people who were leading the charge of persecution, who were turning over Jewish believers to Roman authorities so they would be persecuted. What do we call those people? What do we call a person who claims to be descended from Abraham but does not walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham? What do we call such a gathering? He says in verse 9 of chapter 2 of Revelation, page 1914, I know your afflictions and your poverty, Yet you're rich. I know the slanders of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's strong language, isn't it? Do you mean those gatherings in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and other places where people do not acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as the true Messiah of Israel are gatherings Worshiping a false god? What would you say? What does the text say? How do you get from being part of a synagogue of Satan to being part of the children of Abraham and Sarah, who is the mother of us all and the heavenly Jerusalem? There's only one way. And it's this. It's to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes us rich. He said, you say you're poor. You know how those Christians in this ancient Izmir felt? They felt terribly poor. They felt terribly impoverished. They were not the wealthy people. They were not the powerful people. They had no pull with the Roman leadership. The prominent people were not Christian Jews or Turkish Jews. They were just poor people. You say, well, I, I got nothing. Sound like Porgy and Porgy and Bess. I got plenty of nothing. Nothing's plenty for me. I'm poor. He said, don't say that. You need to confess with me today. I'm rich. I mean, you really need to confess that. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm not rich because of the amount of stocks and bonds and investments and gold and silver and Social Security and this and that. I'm rich because what? I'm a child of the king. 
My elder brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true son of David. He is the true son of Abraham. And all who are in Christ are heirs of all the promises of God. For as many as may be the promises of God, in Jesus Christ there are yea and in Him, Amen. Persecution coming? Everything that I look at in the world tells me, oh yes, persecution's coming. We can take great instruction from these seven letters. And we know who's behind persecution. Who's behind the mess in communist China? Satan. Satan wants to wipe out the Christian church utterly, totally, and completely. The current government of China is a wicked and evil government that aims at the destruction of everything that is Christian because it, and I've been in China, it wants to be God. It wants people to give it unmitigated, unqualified, absolute loyalty. Will we see persecution in America? I don't know. A person's a fool who will say to you, we'll never see persecution here. But I'll say this, we don't have to be afraid. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. He is gathering His church. The blood of the martyrs like Polycarp. Eighty and six years I have served Him. He has never done me wrong. I will not disown Him now. The loyalty and faithfulness of God's martyr Polycarp. In ancient Ismir, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints. Christianity conquered the Roman Empire. Not by fighting it with the sword of the flesh, but with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Through prayer and proclamation, the Roman Empire was brought to its knees before Christ in 313 A.D. Be faithful, even unto death. The Lord is coming, and in the meantime, He is at the right hand of the Father, subduing all his and our enemies. Remember again, I am rich. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever promises God has made are mine. And I don't have to worry about those who are false in their religion and have access to the corridors of power. I have access to the King of Kings. May we pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as a people, that we would trust in you, that when we get discouraged, that when we look at the stock market, when we look at this, Lord, now the stock market's going up. What's it going to do? We don't know. Lord, our security, our happiness, our joy, our peace is not based on a portfolio. Lord, our joy and peace and security is based on the fact that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ the eternal Son of the eternal God, the true Son of Abraham, the Son born according to the promise, the Lord who is our keeper. Thank you, Lord, that we belong to Jesus. Lord, may we not be afraid, no matter what we see on the horizon, and we pray for the peace of God in the Middle East. Lord, these two sons of Hagar, these two sons of Hagar, The current Israelis and the current Palestinians and Hamas and all these other movements 
are fighting each other over a piece of real estate that is now worthless because the Jerusalem that counts is in heaven now and coming to earth when the King of kings and Lord of lords returns. Encourage us, Lord. May we say again, I am rich. In Jesus' name, amen.